From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. Our guest today is an award-winning, self-proclaimed, quirky, celebrity editorial and salon stylist, an artistic and educational icon in our industry. She is, according to her bio, down-to-earth, fun, and insightful, and I completely agree. Our guest has won multiple Naha Awards. She's a 10-time Naha finalist, the artistic ambassador for Purology Serious Color Care. She travels around the globe sharing her brilliance. And as her bio says, she is the real deal. Welcome to the podcast, our friends and way popular AmericanSalon.com contributor, Ruth Roach. Wow. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. You are one of my favorite. I'm not going to use the word quirky, but you're one of my favorite weirdos. Um, <laughs> I love that word too. All the time. You do. Going way back, um, you and I have talked about this before, but I, you and I both were at Pivot Point at a, a similar time, very early in your career. And I remember seeing seeing you for the first time. And I just had this moment of, who is this weirdo? I think I like her. <laughs> <laughs> and and we never really knew each other when we were there together. Um, but all these years later, we're both still at it. Um, you've made that weird thing work to your advantage. And um, so tell us a little bit about how, how did you get started in this business? Let's see. I always wanted to do hair when I was, you know, a kid. And um, I had my there, my brother, wait a minute, my friend and neighbor across the street who was much older than me, her name was Margaret Kelly, and she always did her own hair. It was feathered back, you know, smoking cigarettes. You know, she was just cool then. And I thought, wow, you know, I want to do that. So she used to cut her own hair in the bathroom, and she had one of those Supermax orange blow dryers with the brush attached to it. She would blow dry her hair with that. And, and so that, that kind of started the bug you know, because I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, doing hair. And I went to college to be an engineer. You know, by the time I graduated from high school, that's where I had decided to go. And the whole time I was in college, I was cutting people's hair in the dorms, you know, for a six pack and not knowing what I was doing and just, you know, well, and for money too, or no money, whatever happened. I just wanted to cut hair. And there was this weird weirdo <laughs> <laughs> For weirdest to go. So therefore I went and um, we weren't even old enough to drink yet. And we drank um, pitchers of Tab, which was, you know, the diet soda then. I'm really dating myself. But I used to go into the restroom there and wash my hands. And it smelled, it had this smell that smelled like really cool salon shampoo. And I would get this vision of myself working in a salon as a hairdresser and get really geeked out on it. And it started that, you know, that excitement you get in your chest and your heart when you get inspired and excited about the possibility of something. And that's when I, when I really got hooked on the idea of becoming a hairdresser. So let's fast forward to today. You have a very diverse professional life. You've got a lot of different things that you do. Kind of walk us through that. What, what does the world of Ruth Roach look like today? Today, it's, you know, it's changed throughout the years as far as what, what's on the plate, but my plate is always full. And in the last 10 years, more than 10 years, I had a salon and have had my advanced training academy, um, worked with celebrities, blah, blah, blah. I've done a lot of things. And today, my focus is working on my um, 
website with you know educational how-to videos. That's a huge focus of mine. My main job and affiliation is with Pureology. I'm their global artistic ambassador, and I work with all the different arms of Pureology and their education department, working with education development. I do shows. I do in-salon classes. I work for um, with the marketing department on new product releases and and new launches when I'm out there in the field working with the sales force. So it's cool. I get to do a lot of different things. I do the hair for their brand imagery and um, I get to do a variety of things with them, which is great because I have ADD and it keeps me, (laughs) you know, keeps me excited and motivated. And I also still maintain a clientele. So I keep my hand in working one-on-one with clients because that's the people that I work with every day, the people that I teach, the people that I come across and I'm marketing to with my videos are, are people like me. And we do hair behind the chair and it can become challenging, you know, and, and it can become monotonous. So my goal is to keep it fresh, you know, for myself and for others. So you jumped into the education space really early in your career. Like I said, you were, you were, you were kind of a baby at Pivot Point. Um, and that I think might have been your first foray, you know, into just kind of getting into that world before. And soon after you jumped over to Trevor Sorby, what drew you to that? Well, I when I started working for Trevor Sorby, I didn't have any technical, really strong technical background. Um, I ended up at Pivot Point because when I first got involved with Trevor, and this was like six months after I got on his team, I moved to Chicago and started with Pivot Point because one of his academy trainers. Um, was married to the head of the advanced department. She saw my struggle with teaching because I could hardly do hair and talk at the same time. And I was like, you know, I'd end up in tears at our trainings and I don't know how this is going to happen. And there was an opening in the advanced education department to teach. And it was, you know, sometimes the classes were like five days a week, Monday through Friday. And was, you know, Sharon had talked to me about, well, you know, why don't you think about moving to Chicago? And then there's you have no choice but to get better at teaching um, because you'd be doing it all the time. And I also worked in a salon when I moved to Chicago. So I did, I did both. Um, and that's where I discovered my style, right? Which is the quirky weirdo, you know, that comes out and teaching and, and using analogies that are off the wall that just come into my head. But that's really how I ended up there. And, um, it was amazing because I got to work with other awesome educators and learn from them and just see how do they connect with people? How do they help people to learn? Because it's one thing to stand there and just deliver information, but it's another thing to, to try to really connect with people and give them what they need. Cause it isn't about what I want to tell people. It's about what's relevant to them and what, what's going to be meaningful and useful for them. So you, you learned by doing, you, you did a lot of teaching and it sounds like you got that well under your belt. And then you went back to the world of Trevor Sorby? No, I stayed with Trevor the whole time. Okay. So that, that, because it wasn't um, a conflict of interest because Pivot Point didn't have a wet line. and Trevor Sorby was a wet line. And um, so it wasn't a conflict. It was great, a great um, pair for me to be working bo- with both. So that was really, really great because it helped me get stronger with Trevor Sorby. And then what I was learning from Trevor was helping me in my Pivot Point teaching and, you know, it was just a really good combination. Um, and I worked for Trevor for nine years and I became his artistic director. So I went from not being able to talk and do hair at the same time to 
working side by side with him on stage and building my own reputation. So especially for those who maybe are younger, who might be listening, give us the who is Trevor Sorby, one of the most important iconic hairdressers of all time. But again, some of some may not know. And I don't know, I'm sure you've got a good Trevor Sorby story in the mix. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, he he came from the Vidal Sassoon background. And well, that was one of his um, stops along the way on his career. But he when he was with Sassoon's, he created the wedge haircut, which a lot of people in the younger generation don't know about, but it was the first of its kind. And it was a mistake. It was something that um, he was trying to create a one length haircut that basically was a bowl slash mullet thing that had no graduation in it. And he held it between his fingers, which, as you know, gives you graduation. So he was he was getting frustrated and brushed it back. And it made this really cool ridge slash wedge type thing. And nothing had been done like that before. Um, And it ended up being a double page spread in Vogue magazine, you know, which was this huge, uh, springboard for that type of shape and haircutting, which is the basis of a lot of the shapes that we're seeing today, you know, um, especially in the, the precision haircutting world. But um, so he came from there and he started cutting hair with razors and doing stuff people weren't doing and breaking rules and chopping into hair. And, and Sassoon is much more precision oriented. The shears are used. There's no thinning shears. There's no razor. You know, so he kind of busted away and started breaking the rules and started his own brand, if you will, of, you know, he would do these incredible shows that no one was doing where it would become, it was like a show, you know, it had these vignettes and dancers and, you know, was more than just a runway of models. And he started building this experience for people that would go to his shows that were just amazing, you know, and the creativity was amazing. So I was fascinated with that and his avant-garde work as well. So I got to be involved with doing, you know, assisting him and a lot of shoots. And even when I was his artistic director, I assisted him on stage, you know, and I handed him hairpins and I did things like that. And, you know, you asked what was a Trevor Sorby story that I had. And there's a couple, I'll tell you one that really, really kind of scared me and kept me on my toes from then on. And that was, uh, I was, we were had a, we had a test. It was at one of our trainings and we were going to the next level. So I had to um, do we had to do a show for him? And I tried to do this hairstyle that was not working at all. And I was short. I am short still. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and so it was this big, tall, like genie hairdo thing. So I was backcombing it and backcombing it. It just was like tall. It was getting so where I couldn't even see around it because it was taller than me. And it just fell apart. And I didn't know how to backcomb properly. And it just was a disaster. And Trevor said to me in the debrief afterwards, and he was talking to each of us about how we did, he said, don't ever do blankety blank like that again and put my name on it. And I just remember like falling apart. And, you know, it's one of those experiences that I will never, ever forget. And I'm glad it happened because it made me realize that I owe it to the people that are sitting there trying to learn something to know what I'm doing. And to not do things, I mean, it's okay to make mistakes and people appreciate that too, you know, or to have to like, you know, uh, adjust one side or the other and weight and shape and that kind of thing. But um, to always be focused on being the very, very best that I can be and don't, don't rest on your laurels of a past success. 
you know, and Vivian McKinder used to say, you're only as good as your last haircut, you know, which, you know, can sound like, well, that's not very, you know, encouraging, but it, it just means that we should always strive to be better than we were yesterday and stronger and, and continue to work on our craft. And, you know, so that's, that's another thing that Trevor and Vivian taught me is to focus on your craft, um, more than getting to the top or being a platform artist or being, an, you know, like, I want to do this. I want to do celebrity. I want to blah, 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 blah. just focus on your craft and surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do and help them serve them. So be of service to others that you want to be like, and that's the best way to learn um, rather than just trying to get there some other ambitious, you know, talking your way through it. It's there has to be substance. And um, I think, and what I learned was that humility is a big part of it. I want to add, listening to that, that to a person who's working in a salon or, or with a team or as part of a brand or as part of something as big as Trevor Sorby, you are representing more than yourself. And I think that was part of what was there too. It's like, you know, you as a group of people were were putting out the work of the Trevor Sorby brand. And if you're at Salon XYZ, every client that works out or work, every if you're at Salon XYZ, every client that walks out is not only a representation of you, but of the bigger salon. Right. Absolutely. It's got their name on it too, you know, and you know, then you go into the world of social media and you've got branding that you do. And if you're hashtagging people, like for example, um, salons and stylists out there will hashtag me on some of their looks and it shows up in pictures of me on you know, my pictures on Instagram. And, you know, so if it's, if it's something that I love, then that's cool. Sometimes it's not something that I would, you know, like someone will go there and think it's my work. So they're representing me by hashtagging. me. So when you hashtag somebody, you know, think about that, that you want to make sure that it's your very best work. Um, and you're, you know, if you're tagging someone and your salon is getting notoriety for it too, not only is it great for them, but it's great for you. Well, and how about let's let's update um, Viv's comment um, about only being as good as your last haircut to the social media space, and you know you're only as good as your last haircut post mm-hmm. because <laughs> I mean, unlike your last haircut, which is judged but perhaps by the person you did it to or those who come in contact with that person, that same exact cut posted to your Instagram account is going to be judged potentially by a lot of people. And so uh, I think we maybe have put her comment on steroids in today's world. And uh, and by the way, I was uh, we recorded a podcast this morning with with Vivian McKinder. So no way. Yeah, just 2 hours oh, ago. <laughs> oh, how funny. Yeah, so anyway, so social media. So you um kind of connected to social and digital. You are one of americansalon.com's most popular bloggers. You have a, a great video series that you call Out There with Ruth Roach. Talk a little bit about that, kind of how it happened, kind of your intro into social and digital and, and, and what's going on with that for you and what's your thoughts around it? Well, I'm, before digital blogging and all that existed, I used to write a written column for American Salon Magazine for five years. And it was called Out There. And the reason that I called it Out There, why I call my blog Out There, is because I am a weirdo, like we talked about. So it's out there, meaning it could be about anything. You never know what it's going to be about. And also I'm out and about in the world and experiencing different things. And I know that that fellow professionals, at least when I go and do classes and talk to them, we all were 
usually that person in high school that was friends with the geeks, that was friends with the stoners, that was friends with the da 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 da. We all kind of get along with all kinds of people. You know, just being able to relate to a lot of different kinds of people. And so I out there is like, I know people track with me because they think, you know, they bounce around too. So, so that came about because of you and you asking if I would be interested in doing that. And it's a weekly blog, which, you know, at first I was like, Oh my God, you know, (laughs) and I wanted it to be video because I feel like that's where people are, you know, and, and people want, and I'm like that, you know, I'll do that before I'll read something because I'm visual, you know, and, and I also learned that people have no attention span. So it has to be like, three seconds long. So you have to do an entire haircut in three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and you um, do it well. <laughs> yeah. So you just got to, you know, um, but, but that's how we all are. And then the social media thing is, you know, what's being someone who has been around before it happened and then being a part of it now is it's a constant, you know, it's a constant thing, which like some people deal with it once a day. Some people deal with it all day long you know, and post every moment of their life and stories and da, 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 da. <laughs> as someone who uses it. Um, and, and I go through my phases of being really diligent and doing it and then being a big flake and forgetting to do it. And, um, but it's such a, it's, it's the way to market yourself now and even the manufacturers and everyone, you know, that's really the way we're going. And even for salons, rather than putting money into advertising, it's putting money into, hiring someone to do your social media or bringing on one of your staffers that has that experience and loves it to do it for you, you know, um, in the salon, it's just, it has to, it has to happen. That's where people go. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about their salon and their staff having posting pictures of their work, not only on the salons, um, Instagram or Facebook, but on their own. And she, one of the receptionists was on the phone with a guest and they were saying, oh, so-and-so is not available. Why don't you try, you know, Susie, for example. And so while that guest was on the phone, they were, they were surfing through and looking for pictures of this person's work. And they said, well, is there anybody else who I can find, you know, on Instagram? Because I, that person doesn't have any work. So I want to see someone else's work before I book. And it's like, whoa, you know, and it's happening while they're making an appointment. So if we don't have ourselves represented out there, you know, people don't even know about us if, if that's how they're trying to find us in the first place. So it's really, really, really important to do it. And, you know, the other thing I've learned is to curate it, you know, mm-hmm. like make sure what you're posting is uh, relevant to people and that you're not posting so often that people take you off their feed. You know, it needs to be impactful when you do post and interesting and a variety of things. And so, and with the Instagram thing, looking, having your page, I'm making signs with my hands here, but nobody can see me, (laughs) you know, having your post in in the grid. Yeah. To have it look good together as a collection of posts as well. You know, like how they look next to each other. That's a really important point. Um, And there's so many 
people who are sharing great information on this, but I think one of the big learnings in the last year for so many is that that feed is everything. And if you think of the old lookbooks, you know, again, we've been around for a little while, salons used to put together lookbooks, you know, they mm-hmm. literally would would grab different things. And and having seen those over the years, I, I think they were a never ending work in progress. You would, mm-hmm. same thing would go out of trend, you take it out of the book, you put something else that's new in and people who were better at it would really craft those books to be beautiful. And it's kind of the same thing. Instagram's like the new version of the lookbook. And as you said, a client or a prospective client is going to look. And so there's nothing wrong. And it's actually really smart to keep it clean, to delete photos, and to realize that we make decisions whether we're going to follow somebody or not based on what we see in that feed. So I'll use myself as a great example um, because I'm on there regularly. I when I go to an event, I'll go to a show. I'll do some selfies. I'll be oh I'm at the show. It's some you know in front of the sign or whatever. And then a week later, I delete all those photos. I'll leave one or two, but I get rid of them only because that was like in the moment news, you know, and it's mm-hmm. not really relevant anymore. And my my feed doesn't look as clean anymore. So I think that's really an important point that you bring up. And then also, I'm hearing from salon owners. They look at an applicant for a job. They look at their Instagram feed before they'll even interview them. Yeah. Yeah. So you better watch what you're doing out there. <laughs> we all better. <laughs> I know. That's what I mean. It's a... Uh... Nothing is private anymore. Well, and and speaking of of maybe not so private, so you have a second account. Yeah, you, you have you have somebody in your life, Annie. Your baby, what is she? She's a toy poodle, a red toy poodle. She is a, a most gorgeous toy red <laughs> pu- poodle. If you were to leave her in close proximity to me, um, unattended, she would go away. Oh, we're on Skype. I can see Annie. Hey, Annie. <laughs> to all of our listeners, you're so missing out. Um, and what what is Annie's Instagram? Because people need to go look. It's Annie Roach, R-O-C-H-E, like my name, Annie Roach Diaries. And Annie has her own feed. And I'm, I'm so excited to be actually Skyping live with Annie. I, <laughs> I love Ruth, but but Annie's got me more excited. Um, so that's She's fun. Got and that's, on. She does. She's looking cute. And um, But that's the personal side. And I, I love that you've separated that. Annie appears on, on your feed sometimes, which is great to show the personal side of ourselves you know, in our business context. But you also have that other feed. How cool and how fun for you. Yeah. And um, <laughs> she has 300 and... Something like the sixty something followers. That's not bad for a little for a little toy poodle. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're involved again in so many things. I know that Beauty Underground is is a part of your professional life. Um, Charlie Price, I believe, was the founder of Beauty Underground. I know there's a lot of people involved in Beauty Underground, but I know you and Charlie are buddies. And so, talk about your participation in Beauty Underground. It's a really cool concept that Charlie came up with and, and put together with Katie and Sharina. Um, we, we, um, and, and it's something that you don't have to be involved in every single thing that they do to be a part of the team. So it's, you know, there's different levels of involvement and it's, it's sort of like a non-denominational, meaning it's not specific to any manufacturer, but we can all use and talk about our own manufacturers that we represent. So when I do something with them, I use Pureology products and, you know, I, um, that's my, my loyalty to Pureology never goes away, but I'm able to do other things with other artists. For example, we, um, we created a team collection this year and it was very, um, much more avant-garde than some of the things that I do with Pureology because it's more of a, you know, consumer friendly, um, brand and, 
Um, we did a couple, we did a show at Naha. We were one of the VIP sponsors and we are doing it again this year. So it's cool. And I get to do, be a part of a team, which is nice and, and collaborate. Um, and sometimes I'm more of a coach to some people who are on a team and it's just cool. You know, it's just a nice way to keep myself, um, to keep part of the, the self growth going. So I'm constantly moving and changing and, and bettering myself and to be around other like-minded people besides my team at Pureology, you know, to be around as many like-minded people as possible to, um, keep myself stimulated, you know, and push myself to do something I haven't done before, you know, and stay ahead of myself as opposed to getting stuck in something that I'm doing all the time, you know, and, um, especially from a creative point of view, you know, to keep my, the hair that I'm doing evolving and changing, um, because it's easy to get sort of pigeonholed into one thing, you know? So, so that's something you do by choice, right? It's something Mm -hmm. that you find to be inspiring and it, it, um, sounds like it unblocks you in some ways. Um, and again, you've had a long career. I'm sure you've had those moments throughout your career where you either felt blocked or you wasn't, you weren't sure what was going to happen next. Um, any tips or, or learnings that you want to share about that longevity in a career and finding those outlets or, or a process that you use that moves you past the block? Yeah, I I think that um, while you were saying that, I was thinking of, you know, the financial aspect of education and and investing in yourself, you know, because when we do things as a team with Beauty Underground, we all pay for it. No one's paying us to do that, you know, and to be a sponsor at Naha, for example, you, you pay to do that. It's, it's not, you are not getting paid. And I think that's a misconception sometimes that, um, a lot of these creative things, even if you're doing editorial work, you know, that doesn't pay anything. And so that, I mean, it doesn't pay anything when you're doing it with an agent, blah, blah, blah. Editorial is the lowest paying part of it, but you do it for the experience. You do it for the exposure, you know, and it's almost like you have to look at that as an investment in your career or, you know, volunteering and helping people and assisting other people who are doing what you're doing. And, you know, I talked about being of service, you know, and, and the difference between being of service, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can go and assist somebody, but if you're truly there to help that person, that's great. But if you're there to make connections and help yourself, it's, it's different, you know? So you got to trust sometimes that the universe is going to hand you opportunities when it's the right time and, and to stay true to yourself, to stay humble you know, it's really, really important. And, and that doesn't mean you don't have any confidence. Or you don't believe in yourself. You don't have that. Yes, I can do this because we have to have that. Um, like go, going back to getting, you know, feeling blocked or feeling stuck. Um, sometimes for me, it's a matter of just forgetting about it all and doing something completely different, like going to on a vacation or going to the dog park with Annie, you know, things like that to, just to get me out of my own head. Um, but sometimes it's about going to other education, you know, and it costs money. Like I went to Montreal to see Angelos Monera, you know, and we drove there. It's, we drove there from New York and it was like a six hour drive and we took Annie and it was awesome. You know, we went to the show and then we drove back the next day. So it was just, you know, we had to pay for a hotel. We had to pay for our tickets. We had, to, you know, all that stuff, but it was totally inspiring, you know, and just, just cause it gets you out of your own way of thinking. You know, anytime you attend education, just watching someone else 
comb a piece of hair can be inspiring because they might comb it to the left when you would have combed it to the right, you know, so just get your wheels turning in a different way. And, um, and sometimes that does cost money. So, you know, like with my work that I do with Pureology, I go into salons and we do shows and, you know, there's ways of going that are not, you know, costly, but there's also something about, you know, you, you get what you pay for as far as like, if you want to go attend, let's say the Red Can Exchange or Miguel Sassoon or something like that, that you're going to invest in airfare, da, 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 all that stuff. But you're going to get something amazing out of it that'll probably change your career, change your life. You and know? We, we both know so many people, I'm sure, who, who have shared that statement. You know, mm-hmm. when you talk to people about how they got to where they got, I've, I've just... I I always say when I do classes, you know, that when you're thinking about education, there's so many great resources. I always say Sassoon Academy, one of the gold standards, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just everybody should go take a five-day cutting course. I just, just, I think it's like, put it on your bucket list, you know, (laughs) and get there. Yeah, for sure. Because it's about like, I always think of, when I think of Sassoon, I think of a ballerina, like a, you know, prima ballerina that, you know, it's classic, but it's also avant-garde when you want it to be, but to even to take the classics class is just like, you know, a a prima ballerina will do those motions of doing the first, second, and third position, do the bar work and do the basic things every time before they dance, you know? And it's, it's like those things, things come and go and go in and out of style, but the foundation and the technique will never fail you, you know? I remember being at a Sassoon event a couple of years ago in Chicago and met an older salon owner. He was in his, I believe he was in his late 60s. And I, I just made a comment about him being there. And he's like, oh, I've been coming for close to 20 years. And come to find out, very successful salon owner, very successful hairdresser. And the more we dug into the conversation, he's like, I can never, ever learn the basics as, as well as I'd like to in spite of my success and just, and recognizing that and investing himself in himself and coming back year after year after year, he made the, you know, the, the statement that that was the foundation for his success, education. That's cool. That's very cool. And again, I, you know, think back to the pivot point years um, when we would do like classic cuts that those were the classes that were sold out. And again, it was not always a young crowd, you know, but it was, I remember people saying to me, I, I didn't come from hairdressing and it was fairly early in my career. And I just kind of thought as the bob, as like the simple haircut. It's all, mm-hmm. it's like one line, like how hard could it be in my non-hairdresser right. brain? And I remember talking to a group of educators and stylists who were in the program and they're like, oh no, this is like as hard as it gets. You could never, yeah. it's like, it, it's like you'll never get to the perfect bob. And that's, that was the quest for some of these people who came back year after year. Yep. I remember trying to get a perfect one length bob with zero graduation, perfectly even, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that was one of my biggest challenges when I went through my initial training with Sorby and with with Vivian, you know, and she used to come in the room and go, she'd sniff. (laughs) I smell weight. (laughs) You know, it's like she could be across the room and know that you had a piece sticking out somewhere, you know, that that didn't belong. So, but yeah, I I agree with that gentleman you were just talking about. It's like you can never be perfect enough because every head of hair is a different situation. And then making the right choices about where to get your education. You mentioned, you know, Viv and that ability from across the room, being with the right educator, the right mentor, seeking out that quality. You know, one class is not the same as the next. One educator is not the same as the next. And and, and every person has a choice. Talk about the people that, how important is the people you hang with? 
whether it's in classrooms or in your professional life, you, you know, I think you're somewhat of a power networker. You've got some people I always see you with who I know you're close to, but what difference does that make in a person's career? I think it makes a huge, for me, it makes a huge difference because I need to be around people who are glass half full people um, that see the opportunities. I'm a dreamer, you know, and every dream that I've had seemed like a pipe dream at the time, but has, has come to pass, you know, and I think that that is because of the people that I have in my life that, you know, I'm single, I'm not married, I never have been, I don't have kids, you know, and sometimes people look at that as like, oh, wow, you know, you just focus on your career. And I don't think it's because I just focused on my career, it just where the it's just been the cards that I've been dealt so far, you know, that so the important people in my life happen to not be a husband and a family, because that's not there. But my family, my network of people is a group of people. Most most of them live in other cities because of all the traveling I've done with my career. And they're mostly people I met through work, you know, and then they're the people that when I left those situations, continued to be my friends and we continue to work together in some capacity. You know, for example, Rhonda Wagner, who is she's the the background of so much of what happens in my digital world. Um, all the videos we do on my website, and my YouTube channel, and all that is she shoots it, she's sound, and she's does a lot of the, I do a lot of the editing, but she does Final Cut Pro, which anybody out there that does Final Cut Pro, um, I just had a crash course with her, and I got this d- Final cr- Cut Final Cut Pro for dummies, and I have like push button Y to move this thing, and you know it's very. Um, I just wanted to know how to do it. Don't make me learn it. Just tell me how to do it, you know. But anyway, there's people like Rhonda and, you know, my friend Michelle Patton and, um, you know, my even my fellow artistic director, Wendy Melanger at Pureology. You know, she's someone that, you know, we've become friends over the years and um, can support each other a lot on the road, sometimes when it gets hard or, you know, whatever, besides the creative stuff. So you become, um, and I have people around me who are honest with me. I don't want someone to yes me. You know, I want someone to say, ah, you know, you might want to think about going in a different direction or, yeah, that's really cool. Because then you trust them when they do tell you yes. You know, if someone, if you're around yes people all the time and that's all you ever hear, then somebody's not being honest, you know. And I want honesty around me. People that are inspired themselves to do their own thing, but also believe in me. As a, as a friend and as a person. So that's a big idea, you know, um, and I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but having that person who will give you honest feedback, even if it's just one, because sometimes we're in work situations where maybe that person's not ever in the room. It might be just a coincidence where we don't have that. And in that case, you know, do you go find it? Yeah. I mean, if you can, <laughs> yeah, if you, you know, or you have someone that, you know, because people have life coaches now and that kind of thing. And, and um, if that's something that you need to do to have that around that honesty and that other opinion, a second opinion, basically, other than your own on some of the things you want to do or, or, you know, things that you have done that you would like some feedback on. Because I think if you're just in a vacuum, um, then you don't, it's harder to stay relevant and know what what's really being seen out there. Just like when you do a, a photo shoot, you might love what you see in person. And then the photographer takes a shot of it and you look at it and it looks nothing like what it looks like to your naked eye. 
you know, so to be able to see it from another perspective is always so valuable. That's, that's what happens when I take selfies. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I don't take selfies. I'm like, um, (laughs) (laughs) who the hell is that? Right. I'm right there with you. So, um, I love to ask everybody this question, best advice anybody's ever given you professionally and, and, and why that might be relevant to our audience. Any big ideas? Yeah, I'm going to go back to the advice I got from Trevor, and I, I already went there, but basically focus on your craft, help others, and stay humble, you know, simple. Good, good advice, simple, and, and worth repeating, even in the same podcast. So thank, <laughs> thank you for that. The, um, let's just talk about hair. We don't, we don't typically talk about hair in these podcasts, and it's, um, it's all around us. It's like looming in the background that we don't typically quite get there. But what, what do you see happening? I mean, can we see so much stuff on social and, you know, big ideas pop? This is the stuff that's happening with hair color, you know, with braids, men's grooming. But, you know, for the working person in the salon, any any movements that you see coming or happening? Well, I definitely see a lot more um, layering going on. You know, like we've had long layers for a long time. And this this thing with the shag coming in is and being in right now says to me that that's a direction that we're moving in. Cause if you go back through history, you know, you go from being like one length or very long layers or, you know, very geometric to starting to break up shapes, then going with more layering. And then like right now we're going with layering and natural textures as opposed to um, overly finished and overly polished, you know, so that's if we're going to continue moving in that direction, cause every trend lasts several years you know, it's coming in, it's really strong, and then it's going out. Um, along the way, the, the masses will take on what, so it's like the trendy ones have it first, and then it goes to the mainstream. And then it's just like even people that aren't into hair and fashion at all end up wearing it, but everyone else has moved on to something else, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so looking at that trend of layers and texture happening more, um, you know, the other the other thing is seeing more one length looking haircuts. So there's like sort of these two things going on. And but my taste moves towards, you know, texture and movement in the hair. Um, so looking at that, I see is like less weight, you know, less weight in a bob, less weight um, in a short haircut, less weight in a long layered haircut. So, you know, it's not as thick and, and heavy, you know, so that's that's what I see going on. You're clearly up on trend. It's a big part of, of I think, what you do and, and important to all the different roles you have professionally. But for someone who's looking to be, you know, on trend in terms of the information, like where, where should they be looking like for clarity on trend? Social media. You know, I think it's been celebrities, but it's kind of moved away from that into influencers and definitely still looking at fashion magazines and sites and blogs and, um, you know, mostly what I look look at is digital and seeing what's going on there um, because you can get a lot of information really quickly and see what's happening right now, you know. And sometimes it might you might see one or two things that sort of stand out like, oh, that's interesting, you know. Maybe that'll become a trend, maybe it won't. But, you know, being aware of them even before they become a trend is really, really good. You know, but I think in the end – you know, we can have like cool weirdo hair, we can have that kind of hair, but what is a real person going to be comfortable wearing and still be on trend and still be cool looking 
um, without pushing them too far out of their comfort zone. So like when I look at things that are really inspiring and some of the avant-garde stuff that's out there, I, I think of ways that I could, you know, do a watercolor version of that, you know, and make it softer and make it more palatable for an everyday guest, you know? And again, for, you know, somebody working in the salon who's trying to find their way to that, like, is that something that you play with until you get it right? Is it something you can go find education on? Um, And I'm thinking more of like what's happening with rainbow hair. And then I see the more traditional salon client and I sometimes walking down the street will look at someone and go, oh, you're the victim of somebody who was trying rainbow hair on you and maybe (laughs) didn't quite get it right. And and that makes me wonder, it's like, hmm, what happened? Yeah. So any thoughts? Well, I think it's get back to education, you know? Um, I think there's a lot of education out there um, online um, that you can pay for that is that is free as well. But you got to be careful, you know, because you want to make sure that you you are following people or getting advice from people who really have a strong foundation. And so it gets back to education and and the and doing things hands on hands on education is really the way to go, because unless you have someone watching you do it the way you're doing it. It might be, um, you might not, you might think you're doing what was done in the video or what you saw in person, but when you experience it, someone is there to coach you on the little things that you might not notice when you're just watching. So I say hands-on education as much as possible and just do your research. So the hands-on is huge. And I think we, we seem to be in a time, I think, where people's are feeling the financial pressures of life. Mm-hmm. And I'm see, I've seen, I think in the last few years, somewhat a move of a movement away from hands-on education mm-hmm. because people see the alternative of online and they kind of, you know, glom onto it. And I think because of that, um, seeing more people struggling with success and, and perhaps some of that's because we have moved away from something that's fundamentally so important, that hands-on opportunity. You know, one of the things I learned when I was with Redkin is that as, as, creative people and as hairdressers, most of us are kinesthetic and visual. So we need to do it and we need to, we need to see it. That's how we learn by seeing and doing almost equally, you know? So, and another thing I learned when I was with Redkin is that, you know, if you learn, if you hear something, you maintain, you retain a certain, I don't remember the numbers, mm-hmm. but a small percentage. Um, Cause I don't remember, I remember a small percentage of the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> So the small percentage, the, you know, if you read it and hear it, it's more, if you do it and hear it, it's, it's even, you know, it's like a lot more. Right. (laughs) Right. Sounds so intelligent. (laughs) Um, But basically that's how we sort of lock it into our bodies, our brains and our minds to remember, remember, because we physically experience it. So that's important. And, and another piece of that is, is the importance of understanding how you as an individual learn, because we all do learn a little bit differently. And some of us are visual learners, and some of us learn better by doing. Um, I learn best by not only doing, but by writing it down. There's something about the act of writing. I never go back and reread it, you know, but writing it, puts it in my brain. I know that about myself. If I forget to bring a pencil or something to write with and a piece of paper, I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so, so important. Everybody learns how they learn. Totally. I like to draw pictures because I can't keep up when I'm writing words. So I draw a little, and they're really bad pictures, but I know what they are. <laughs> 
like Mr. Potato Head instead of the actual model that's sitting in front of me. So, okay. yeah, Mr. Potato Head works. We love Mr. Potato Head. Who doesn't love Mr. Potato Head? Yeah. <laughs> so. I like putting feet where his eyes are supposed to be and stuff like that. <laughs> so, um, I'm quite confident that this will be the only Mr. Potato Head conversation in an American Salon podcast. And I'm I'm actually excited. And that goes back to the beginning of this podcast that we're with the quirky weirdo, Ruth Roach. <laughs> so talking about Mr. Potato Head. Um, I love to ask everybody, um, what are you reading, listening to, viewing, and or obsessing about things that, um, that you're paying attention to that you think are worth sharing with the audience? Well, um, I recently had to drive like a six-hour drive, and I got an audio book, and I I like, you know, like CIA, you know, those kind of things. And so I got a David Baldacci book and it was called, uh, what is it called? Oh my God. Well, if it's his latest, they can Google the author's name, David yeah, Baldacci. Like six, six cents. That's what it was. So I'm reading that. Oh, I'm listening to that. And I'm going back to read a book that I've read before. Um, Gary Zukoff, Seed of the Soul. Mm -hmm. Well, it's one of those things to do when you're feeling a little bit blocked. So I'm going that direction um, and going inside to work on that. And then I'm obsessed with the Americans. Oh, me too. The spy show. Oh, my God. So good. Isn't it? (laughs) So good. I love all their disguises. It's so cool. It's like, wow, that is a really awesome wig, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) and sometimes not in a good way. But (laughs) right. and then I also I love Scandal, which I'm all caught up on now. So you've got you've got a busy list, and, and yeah. again, and a diversion from your professional life, which is also I think important. Because everything else I'm doing in the the hours that I'm not doing that is pretty much you know work related or you know like even in my free time I'm I don't really have any free time, but I I enjoy doing what I do so much that. That's usually what I'm doing. And again, I think an important little lesson there for those of us who are workaholics, and I'm, I'm there with you, we, we need to kind of program those breaks, mm-hmm. you know, just get them into the mix because otherwise we burn ourselves out. So so a great list and, and some great advice. So as we begin to wrap up, Ruth, um, tell us where we can follow you online, on social. Um, where can people fi- find Ruth Roach? Well, I'm on Facebook as Ruth Roach. Um, I'm on Instagram is Ruth Roach, and I have a, a YouTube channel called Ruth Roach TV, which is um, all like step-by-step videos, and I do chair-side interviews with other people in the industry, um, so kind of getting insight on how other people stay inspired and that kind of thing. And then I have my website, ruthroach.com, so, and my blog out there with American Salon, which is weekly. So there's a lot of different ways you can get a touch of weirdo in your life. A lot of ways, all good <laughs> stuff. Your YouTube channel is great. Um, and, and, and all your work is great. And we, we appreciate you so much at American Salon and americansalon.com. So Ruth Roach, our favorite weirdo here over at American Salon and americansalon.com. You are the artistic ambassador for Purology Serious Color Care. I always have to read that because it's a long title. We are excited to have had you on our podcast. Um, it was an honor and a pleasure and a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Gordon. It was fun. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. 
And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher, Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon stories next week. Thank you.